Hi, everybody. It is, uh, let's see, Friday, July 10th, 2020. This is episode 41 of the Luke Thomas live chat. <clears throat> My name is Luke Thomas. Naturally, I'm the host of this program. You might know me from Showtime. Uh, I've got some information in the description box below. You might know me from SiriusXM. There's this information in the description box below. You might know me from a lot of places, but uh, this is the live chat. We'll go for about an hour and a half. So without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? Couple of housekeeping notes. First of all, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe. I'm only like 60 subs away from 135K. So if we can get to those, that'd be great. Um, there is going to be a post-fight show for UFC 251 tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I am going to go live immediately after the fights. Excuse me. And uh, with, you know, a bunch of results and all that good stuff. Uh, also, last week, someone was asking about recommendations for um, things to read related to antitrust. And I did not have a good answer. I think I had recommended something from um, Hal Singer, who is the attorney for the fighters in the plaintiff lawsuit case. Well, the, 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 he is an expert, excuse me, for the plaintiffs in the fighter lawsuit against the UFC as an expert economist on antitrust. And I recommended uh, everyone listen to him. And he actually wrote to me so I could give you guys uh, a recommendation. Namely, here we go. I recommend Philippon's Great Reversal and Tepper's Myth of Capitalism. Diane, D-A-Y-E-N, Teach Out, which is just how it's spelled, T-E-A-C-H-O-U-T. I think it's Zephyr Teach Out. And Hubbard have a forthcoming anti-monopoly book as well. So... The books you're looking for are Great Reversal and then Myth of Capitalism. That is straight from the mouth of Hal Singer. All right? Uh, I've not read those books, but I take his word uh, to, as to their value. Okay. Uh, if you want to contribute financially, you certainly can uh, in the donations, and I will get to your questions at the end. It's 310. So I will go to 410 with questions for free, and then we'll get to those. All right? All right, let's do that now. So, let us go to your questions. Doom, 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 doom. Okay. Ooh, got a lot today. Shit. All right. Um, look, I don't know how much you follow the Bundesliga. Not much. But Robert Lewandowski has been bonkers this season. He has an average goal of uh, every 81 minutes. Do you think he deserves to win the Ballon d'Or? I don't know. I don't give a fuck about uh, Bundesliga. And I tend to think that, you know, they've only got two good teams. So, all right. Um, okay, this is an interesting one. Bo Nick, a lot of these are from an hour ago. I'm going to skip one to go to the very... People are like, oh, they're not in order. I'm telling you, they're, what order are they in? I can pick top comments or newest first. Top comments are the ones that I have it sorted by, so I can't, you know, I don't know how else to fix it. Um, in every interview since his first fight with Volkanovski, Max retains that he thinks he won the fight or that it was very close. In one of the embedded episodes, his coach says they made slight adjustments for the rematch, 
but ultimately thinks the first fight was very close. I have rewatched the fight a few times, and although I don't have uh, close to your expertise, probably have just as much, believe it or not, I agree with you that Volkanovski won the fight convincingly. What do you think Max, excuse me, why do you believe Max believes he won the fight? Is this uh, a front for the camera? Is he misreading the fight? And Volkanovski's skill, am I missing something? And the fight was actually a lot closer than it looked. I just can't imagine somebody as high level as Max and his team re-watching the fight and still thinking that he won or that it was very close. Yeah, I, I've struggled with that one too, actually, because in prep for this one, I, uh, I re-watched their first fight. And uh, I got this wayward hair here. And at the end, you know, the UFC does that split screen where the two fighters are like this and you can see their reactions. And then Buffer's always like, the winner by whatever, you know, unanimous or split decision. And he's either going to say and new or like uh, um, and still, you know. And then he said and new, but before they said and new, you know, you had um, you had Max raising his hands. After the fifth round was over, Max was like, you know, visibly kind of like, okay, you know, job, I did it, I did it, I did it again. And I'm thinking to myself, like, mm, no chance you won that one. Uh, and then the scores, as I recall, were two forty-eight forty-sevens, then one fifty forty-five. I think I had it forty-nine forty-six. I think I gave Max either the fifth or fourth round. I I can't remember, but. In any, in any case, like, why would he say that? Well, one, I mean, fighters always like to give themselves the most charitable cause. I think that's one. I think, two, the big reason is he feels like there wasn't a lot of damage done to him. That maybe Volkanovski scored, and that should count, but that the, the way in which he was scoring was not sufficiently damaging to really to be as decisive as, as you or I might imagine it to be. I mean, I'm having to speculate here. I don't know the answer. Um... I, I tend to because he's that, that was, those are some things he mentioned before. You know, if you look at their striking totals in the rounds, uh, let me pull those up here and how that went. So if you look at the Vol the, the Volkanovski fight, um, they landed fairly similar amounts in terms of significant strikes. You know, nineteen to twenty-seven. This is max to uh, Volkanovski. 22 to 28, 22 to 35, but then the fourth and fifth round, it got a little dicey. 37 for Max to 36 for Volkanovski. And again, these are numeric counts. They're not qualitative. And then 34 to Max to 31 to Volkanovski. Uh, and then he had two, uh, three total failed takedown attempts Volkanovski did in the fourth and fifth round. Um, so, you know, I, I think 48, 47 works. And then qualitatively, depending on how you want to weigh the other two, you can. Um, for that reason. So maybe he thought, you know, two rounds apiece, one might be a swing round or something. But to me, the first three rounds are very convincing. I mean, he was, this is one of the things that, this is why it's a little baffling for me too, right? Because fourth and fifth round, okay, there's a reasonable debate to be had about those. No problem. I don't know how you can score any of those first three rounds for Max. And part of the reason why I say that is not just that numerically he was outstruck, which by itself wouldn't necessarily mean he won the round, but when you go and you watch the fights, answer your question for me. Forget the fourth and fifth. What is the most memorable strike that Max landed in the first 15 minutes? Like when you think in your mind, what stands out to you? Can you think of it? It's hard to do. I mean, you could probably, you know, reimagine one of the ones that he landed or, you know, you, you can recall it or something. 
But was it all that devastating? Like I was, I remember minute after minute would go by. I'm like, did, did Max even land in this minute? And of course the answer is he did, but there was nothing very impactful. So what ended up happening was he was overall offensively muted. So like his overall volume was just way down. And then two, the stuff he was able to land just was not especially great. Like some of these strikes that they're counting was just like a oblique kick, except to the obliques that went to like the hip, right? I mean, that's it. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know. And this is the thing I've said about Volkanovski. It's like, dude, I, I, I understand why some folks might think that Max can win this. I don't think that's at all a crazy belief. But I, I also have just noticed that like, there's this pervasive feeling that Volkanovski is some sort of, maybe imposter is a strong word, but not really the rightful heir. You know, that he kind of came and snuck up on everybody and took the title when he wasn't supposed to. This was Max, and if Max was going to lose it, he was going to lose it to an Edgar or a Korean zombie, but not, not Volkanovski. I mean, not, he's good, but okay, he wasn't part of the story. And and it's weird. Like they, It's like everybody who likes Max will tell you up and down about how good he is, which you should. All of that is probably true. They don't afford the same thing to Volkanovski. They like kind of deny that there is anything actually all that good about him. And to me, it's like, you know, listen, man, I don't exactly have the world's best grasp on fighting. I got a little bit of one, you know, I can sort of squint and read it. And I'm telling you, like, who is it who asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, whose game is hard to figure out? Holy shit, man. Volkanovsky's game is hard to figure out. I made this point a couple times. Dude, it is hard to land on a talented fighter. It's actually hard to, if you can throw a punch, it's actually hard to make contact. Right? I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, yes, you got your bite down on the mouthpiece types, but I'm talking about the ones who are really talented. We're talking the title contenders and, and belt holders here, right? Both of them in this case. It's, it's hard to, to, to land on them. You, 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 if you don't know what you're doing, you go up and you swing at them, you're going to miss, they're going to slip it, they're going to block it. Like, you're not going to land clean. So how do you land on those guys? You have to trick them. You have to trick them with space, timing, sleight of hand, all kinds of stuff. And the amount of trickery, essentially, which is a sort of a broader way to describe some of the things that Volkanovsky does with the fainting and the movement and the angles he takes and all, whatever else. Um, he does that at almost a more sophisticated level than anybody. So when folks don't want to, when you want to give Max his due, good, you should, but you should have the exact same kind of willingness to describe the game of Volkanovsky, because if you don't, you know, what's going to happen if on Saturday you see basically a repeat of the first one? I don't think it'll be exactly a repeat, but, you know, let's say a similar result in the end. You know, how, how could all this happen? Oh, well, it must be because Max trained on Zoom. Well... If that's true, which is certainly debatable, it's not the reason. It's not. Like, you can foresee that if Max can't get it done on Saturday, I don't know who the hell in that division is going to beat Volkanovski until he just fucking dies of old age. Because the level of skill he has, you know, Max is the closest thing to it. And after him, it's a major drop-off. Major.
opinions on the Mike Perry situation, particularly the morons defending his actions. Well, I mean, this is a sport where people can get out of jail with Nazi tattoos and other people in the sport will ask, what's the big deal? I mean, the sport is full of completely deranged people who have no sense. I mean, honestly, if you're defending Mike Perry punching the old dude, now if the old dude was trying to strike him, that might be a little bit different. The tape on that is unclear. But as I've said a million times, it's not hard to go out to a bar and not get into a fight. It's not hard. And if you look at the, the place that they went to, it did not look like a biker bar to me. I mean, that looked like they were playing Jimmy Buffett there and, you know, they had dollar Coronas on Tuesday. It did not look to me like there was this bar when I, when I lived in New York City. Uh, where was this? This is on, um, God, where was this bar? It was on the west side of uh, Manhattan. It was called the Village Idiot. That was the name of the bar, I swear to God, the Village Idiot. And it was on, I want to say, I want to say 13th Street and like 9th or 10th. It was just outside of the Meatpacking District. Because Meatpacking District, when I lived there, maybe even this is true today, it was all like ritzy and posh and like, you know, you had to have like nice shit to get into places and I was too broke for that. So there was this bar like on the edge of that called the Village Idiot. And uh, I remember, man, you just sit outside and you could just see fights spill outside of the front door, you know, and you just, the place had a rep, man. You just knew like, you know, it was like the fucking Moss Eisley Cantina up in there. Okay. You know, Han Solo was going to be hitting you with his blaster if you looked at him the wrong way. It was just one of those kinds of places. That wasn't what Mike Perry was in, you know? So MMA is full of completely deranged, you know, Henzo Gracie's out there tweeting about quotes from Himmler. People are like, hey, Henzo, maybe you shouldn't do that. And then he, you know, proceeds to insult them with juvenile responses. It's like, you know, this is who we are. This is who we have to deal with in the sport. Okay. As it relates to Mike Perry, um, I'll say this. One, as I mentioned, not hard to go out and not get in fights. It's actually quite easy. Number one. Number two. Uh, I don't know what happened with the first or second victim, but my hunch that, you know, that Mike is like completely free of blame doesn't seem quite right. Now, wanting to stay there to give the cops his side of the story, I don't see any problem with that. But if you want to do that and you're having the shouting match with people, people on both sides at that point are escalating, including Mike. He's not alone in this one. It's never going to go well. If you want to give your side, then stay like 10, 15 feet back. Don't engage with those folks. Stay away from it. And when the cops come, you can still accomplish your mission of having to talk to them without being right in their face. And by the way, security should have done something about that too. Security should have had been like, dude, you can stick around if you want. We're just, let's avoid further conflict. Let's avoid further problems. I'll have them go back inside. You know, take a step back here. We'll make sure everything is safe. You'd be surprised how amenable tough guys are when you like, you know, you say, I'll make sure everyone has to do the same thing. It, it works, okay? But that no one was doing that that I could tell until it was too late. So there was another problem. The security at this place sucked. And three, that old dude, whoever he was, I mean, listen, I don't know if he exactly put hands on him. Let's say for the moment that the guy did not put hands on Mike. Now, maybe he did, but let's say for the moment he didn't. Antagonizing someone, I know it, like, sounds righteous to, like, pick one of these up and then type on it and pretend you're the toughest person around. But that dude who was trying to like run his mouth to Mike, I don't understand him at all. 
It's like Mike is not out of shape. You can physically tell he is, you know, he's not he's not some small fry, number one. Number two, he's got tattoos on his face, and he just decked two people inside. And then Boss Hog decides to roll up and decide that he is going to, you know, make fun of the way Mike says the word police. If you try to piss people off, man, you cannot be surprised when you succeed. <laughs> you know? Like, this is what I mean. People always think, and Twitter is full of these you know, deranged people who are like, yeah, Mike is totally reasonable. Meanwhile, if I went up to one of their girls and slapped her on the ass, they wouldn't do fucking anything. They vicariously live through their, their heroes in real life. The, these guys who you know, live uh, as barnacle on 4chan. Mike Perry is the guy who pulls triggers in delicate situations in ways that the people defending him don't or can't. And so they get a certain joy out of watching somebody rise to what they consider to be a level of bravery they are not capable of, right? That's, so when people are like really praising it, they're telling on themselves, okay? Um, the reason I'm going to say that about the old man was if you put hands on Mike, then, you know, all bets are off. But even if he didn't, I'm only bringing this up to say something about him, which is that it was not effective risk management from him either. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, Mike shouldn't be punching people. Okay, we can say that, right? But at the same time, you have to know what your role is here and what you're willing to tolerate because clearly Mike is not a guy who is going to tolerate your bullshit. And the law says he has to, but that's not necessarily what he will or won't do. So you have to understand that that's the role that this guy plays. He will pull the trigger on these things very quickly. It's not much for him to do that. And so for security to not be there, at least not being very effective while they were there, for Mike to be antagonizing these people, the, the woman who handed him his phone and she's antagonizing him, and then this guy decides to get involved and like kind of make fun of him. And then Mike warns the dude, like, I'll knock your ass out too. Yo, like for people who might engage with Mike Perry in future considerations, if Mike tells you, he might knock your he will knock your ass out. That is not an idle threat. I mean, I'm not saying he'll necessarily do it, but when he says he will, he doesn't have any like gag reflex, so to speak, about engaging in this kind of behavior. So this dumbass who decided to like again, doesn't mean you can punch him in the face, but it's just like if you have somebody who acts reckless and you antagonize them, um the person you can't allow a society where people can just attack other people for it, but you just have to understand the real world consequences of doing some shit like that. This is why I always tell folks, man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you, I, did, we, did we not go over this like last week or the week before? People who labor under the delusion about how tough they think they are, and then you run into a Mike Perry in this world and you realize very quickly you are, you are not that person, and Mike Perry is. Now Mike's got problems, man, and he needs, and he looks like he's going to get some uh, uh, assistance and some counseling, and some of the other things that he needs. It sounds like I'm victim blaming. I'm not, but like, would you advise your friend to antagonize Mike, who already has punched two different patrons allegedly, to then make fun of the way he talks and then like dare this guy to act upon his impulses? It's not smart. It's not smart. If you want to defuse a situation. And he was willing to just wait for the cops, then defuse the situation. Why the fuck is this boss hog getting involved here? You know? Uh, 
so many dudes out there <laughs> never been in a confrontation in their lives, at least not very serious ones. And they've just, they've told themselves day after day after day, I'm tough. I'm a Billy badass. If push came to shove, I could do it. And then you meet a Mike Perry and all that just goes away in an instant. And then you realize you ain't shit. You are not the guy to be mouthing off to somebody who is reckless. You know, you're not. In terms of what the UFC should do, um, I don't even know anymore. You know, I really don't. Because the, the strongest thing they could do is cut him. Is that what they should do? Your mileage may vary. If they engage in anything beyond what, they, I mean, they're doing what they're doing, which is we won't book another fight for you. It's contingent upon you completing these like substance abuse and then these other sort of anger management counseling programs, which is not nothing. I don't know how much it will help, but it's certainly not nothing. But is that really going to fix what ails him? Maybe, maybe not. But what they're doing is probably the most that they can do. Because if you're more, the most heavy-handed thing they could do is release him, but that's bad for business, probably. So they don't want to do that. Anything else would be blurring the line. Even this blurs the line, but it'd be really blurring the line between, you know, uh, independent contractor and employee. So they have to kind of always be mindful of that. So what can they do? This is the most they can do, which, by the way, I don't think they did for Connor. So, you know, they also had this precedent like, hey, you didn't do Jack for Connor when he was... You know, when he was knuckling uh, old men in the bar who didn't want to drink his whiskey. Why are you going to do something now? So, you know, we all know how the game is played. Obviously, there's outright favoritism. But, it, you know, people always act like what should happen in these situations. And it's like, the question is not what should happen. Because that's not even relevant anymore, you know. What's relevant is what is the UFC able to do without overly blurring the lines between independent contractor and employee what is their precedent for? And then what can they get away with? Those are the only questions that are relevant. Everything about like what they should do, like this is some place where those kinds of considerations are actually like considered is silly. That's not. All right. Apart from Connor, how well has the rest of the SBG fighters done in the UFC? Would Connor have made it today where where he is today with an, any old gym. He probably would have made it with just about anywhere, but I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, most of the SBG guys are now in over in Bellator, right? Like Bellator has like their, uh, Bellator has, it just dominates the Irish market. So the question about how well they did in the UFC, uh, you know, most not as well as him. You know, Lobov was there for a time. Charlie Ward was there for a time. Houlihan was there for a time. I'm sure, you know, uh, Ash was there for a time. I'm sure I'm skipping a bunch. But the, most of those considerations now are seen through Bellator. And, you know, it's a successful gym and, the, and a network of gyms. Uh, you know, it's not an AKA or something, but it's, it's still quite good. What is the biggest misconception fans have about MMA that irritates you? That's a good question. Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Well, truthfully, truthfully, I'm not as bothered by it as I used to be. I mean, most days I get up, I have to worry about my bills. I got to make sure I don't get the Rona. I got to make sure I, you know, everyone else in my house doesn't get the Rona. 
I got to make sure my kid is okay, that my wife is taken care of, that my mother-in-law is fine, that my family is doing okay, you know, and I got to worry about all my work. I, I just don't have any time to like, God, I wish that fans had different things to say about MMA. And honestly, like all the things I used to worry about with MMA in terms of how it wasn't perceived or things people believed, most of that isn't even relevant anymore. I mean, I'm sure I, I don't really talk to, you know, the average 25 year old dude and know what they have to say about MMA, but just how much it's on ESPN and I'm, you know, I'm doing okay in my career. Like I don't really care anymore. If, if there is only one thing that kind of irritates me a little bit, um, and when you say fans, do you mean like fans outside of MMA or like fans inside MMA? The one thing that annoys me about fans in terms of, mis well, you're saying misconception, so it's got to be outside, right? Um, the one thing that I think I would like to see change, if at all possible, is they'll heap like this language on top of boxing, with, you know, really reverential. You know, like it's the battle of the gods and the sweet science and the... And I'm not even mad that they say all those things. It's just that when they start talking about MMA, the tone changes, right? And it's like, it's a cage fight. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, fighting in the street and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the thing that kind of gets me is it's just how many people don't seem to realize how um, scientific it is and how, how, how much strategy is involved. Like getting back to like the Volkanovsky thing. And like the technical and tactical mastery that has to go into winning at the highest level, there's just not nearly enough appreciation for that. Now, there's more of that happening. I, I was actually talking to Dan Hardy today. I had him on my show, and I asked Dan, I said, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I've noticed this on social media. And yes, it's happening now because we're in the pandemic and there's just not much boxing going on. But even before the pandemic, I was noticing I follow a lot of like boxing analysts, boxing trainers, boxing coaches to see what they have to say about things. And I've just noticed in the last couple of years, especially the last year, um, that they are starting to look more and more at MMA and like breaking down what they're doing. They didn't come out right and say, hey, all of a sudden we like MMA. They didn't say that. But they're, matter, they're, they're sort of saying it in a roundabout way where they're looking at what these guys are doing from their footwork and their angles and their fainting and their glove control and, and everything else. And they're beginning to sort of make assessments about it that they realize there's a lot more to this than there used to be and in fairness to them MMA striking has gotten so much better than it was 10 years ago uh, five years ago it's just gotten way 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 better um, and so part of this is natural it's like okay well also MMA striking got good enough to now have some of the reverence and attention of people on the boxing side of things um so maybe this is just a thing that will go away eventually over time or at least be mitigated. I mean, you are kicking people in the face, you know, how much will people think that there's science when there's that much violence to it. Maybe we'll never get to boxing's level in terms of the cultural, you know, the language that people use. Like, oh my God, this is such a holy and reverential activity. But at the same time, you're asking me, like, what has annoyed me to this part? It's like people won't even be mad at MMA. They'll actually like MMA, but they'll like it for the reasons that are, have nothing to do with why I like it. The, the reason why I like MMA is because you have these incredible uh, consequences, right, where you can get knocked the fuck out, lose teeth, all kinds of stuff. 
um, you ha- you you have to deal with this sort of incredibly vicious activity. But it turns out the only way to, to do it at the best level is to apply science to it. You know, it's the science of of, of violence. It's the science of uh, weaponless hand to hand combat. Is really what it is, and it's done for sport and it's done for entertainment. But when you when you realize it's this marriage of brutality and this marriage of sophistication, right? I mean, because it really is both. That's to me what makes it alluring, right? I mean, what's one reason why people like extreme metal, for example? I, I'm actually not all that into like you know, oh, we stabbed this guy and it wasn't that great. I mean, I kind of it's it's whatever. I sort of tolerate it. It doesn't really get me off or anything. You know, Hammer Smashed Face. If you guys never read the lyrics for Hammer Smashed Face, it's literally a dude describing the pleasure he gets out of murdering someone with a hammer. I mean, it's, 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 it, is, it is exactly that. I'm not really into that. But I can tell you that um, the technical mastery required to play some of that stuff is really quite difficult. Uh, so this is not a direct comparison. I'm not comparing uh, MMA to death metal per se. Rather that I understand some of the things that make death metal alluring or extreme forms of metal, grindcore, whatever else, that uh, also make MMA alluring, which is that, you know, in order to do this really well, it's actually not about what a barbarian you are. You have to be both a barbarian and a scholar and put the two together, right? The warrior poet, that's really who you have to be. That's why it's cool. If GSP started his career today, would he be a fan favorite? And would his style of fighting hold back his popularity in the way Usman's has? I don't think so. Because GSP didn't really start doing the I'm going to take you down ad nauseum thing. Well, maybe a little bit. Because here's the deal. GSP didn't really start doing that until a little bit later in his career. Now, you could look at the Carl Parisian fight early on and it was a little bit like that. And he was taking people down. Like he took Shark down and... Um, you know, uh, a lot of guys, but he also stood and ba- uh, stood and bang, banged, bang. He stood and, and and struck with a lot of guys as well, the Jay Hurons and and everything else. Um, but part of what made Saint Pierre so interesting was that he was really well rounded, and Saint Pierre was one of these first guys who now it's a little bit more common. You kind of take it for granted, but back when GSP was out wrestling guys who had national championship division one caliber wrestling. That was sort of seen as like somewhat revolutionary. That was like, wow. It's, I mean, it's one thing to stop their takedowns, but now you're taking them down. You know, it was pretty incredible. And plus, that was when MMA got hot and he was like this Canadian ambassador. There are reasons to think that if he was as good today uh, as he was in his prime, like he had that kind of domination over the game, he might be a pretty popular person because it wasn't true that he was just all the time, only always wrestling. That was something that propped that, that happened a little bit later, eh, middle to later ends of his career. But there was other portions where he was just, you know, I mean, the, the beating he gave Frank Trigg was, <laughs> that was epic. That was epic. So there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle there. But maybe not exactly the same, but I think a lot of the things that, um, not exactly the same, but there are reasons to think he'd still be pretty, you know, uh, he'd still be pretty popular. Luke, last week you said you can't interview Ali or any of his fighters. Can you tell us why that is? Love the live chat. Yeah, I said it on uh, Morning Combat. Well, I'm not really trying to interview Ali. I'm just trying to interview his fighters. I mean, 
y'all know the story here. We even talk. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. When I had him on the MMA Hour, I even talked about it. I was like, I was encouraging him to not um, to not block people who may have been critical of him from talking to his fighters, and he said he wouldn't. You know, and then. Here I am. I ended up in that space. Uh, I don't know how I ended up in that space. I don't know why. You'd have to ask Ali. I don't know. You know, what's funny about Ali is a lot of people really get him wrong. Uh, Which is kind of funny because I don't feel like I do. Here's what I mean. You see a lot of criticism about Ali that makes him out to be like people think he's not bright. And yes, he goes on these Twitter screeds and, you know, obviously English is his second language. But I got to tell you something about Ali. He is, his critics deeply underestimate him. They, they totally underestimate him. And then his power keeps growing and keeps growing and his stable of fighters keeps getting bigger and keeps getting bigger and keeps getting bigger. And they keep getting surprised. I'm never surprised. I'm never, ever surprised. You know, the stuff about his background, um, I don't know exactly what to think of it. Uh, I, I'm not here to say it's true or false. Some of it seems to be true. I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's, it's hard to parse for me. And maybe that's my laziness. Fine, it's my laziness. The things I've tried to focus my attention on are his managerial practices, right? Where you're, you know, you're, I think you signed an affidavit. We talked about, it again, when he was on the MMA Hour. This is not a secret. This was out in the open. Where, uh, excuse me, where, you know, he was saying, he was arguing that making fighter pay public is bad for fighters because it can lead to threats of extortion and violence and things like that. And I'm not even here to say that that's necessarily like a thing that is totally false, but what we know to be true is that the more information there is in public about what fighters make, uh, the more they're able to use that as information to leverage off one another and then to overall raise the level of pay. There may be like, some consequences to making fighter pay public. I'm not here to say that it's in every case always a good thing, but I am here to say that at a bare minimum, it's a net positive, right? So I try to focus my criticisms on that, but like he obviously has, like, dude, if you guys talk to his fighters, you know, you're not going to hear them say, to, in my experience, you're not going to hear them say bad things. And then if you go on Twitter and you hear people talk about Ali, and again, I'm not here to say that anybody's perfect, all of us have made mistakes, him included. And again, I try to focus my criticisms on the things I know about the managerial practices such as they exist. But I'm also not dumb enough uh, to, to like be surprised by his success. He has a real tight relationship with UFC management. I think that it's a... I would like to see managers take a more adversarial approach. If you're not going to take an adversarial approach... Right, where you're sort of suggesting and realizing that your interests lie outside of the organizations, what is your best option then? Well, then your best option is to get a cozy relationship. Now, again, whose interest are you serving when you do that? A lot of times you're probably going to be serving the UFC's interest. But it, 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 to me, it comes back around to his clients. There's almost like this backwards way where they get serviced in the end by card placement, who gets called for late notice, you know, big fights and big opportunities, and on and on and on and on. Like, there is a method to the madness. His success is not accidental, and his fighters' uh, adoration for him, which is exactly what it is, it is not accidental. 
People constantly get this guy wrong, and it really is sort of baffling to me. It's like, how do you think he has this many fighters under contract? <laughs> you think it's a fucking accident, you know? I don't think it's an accident. Uh, but that doesn't, you know, here I am talking about, like, I don't know why, as a manager, you would ever say it's good um, for fighter pay to not be publicly acknowledged. Like, it depresses everyone else's wage. Like, you know, it's just a weird, it's just a, it, I, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't get it. So, so I, you know, maybe he's mad about that. But to me, it's like, that really? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But here's what I do know. Uh, every time we reach out to the uh, PR people over there, uh, they tell us no. So, <laughs> and so what is my option? My option is I could go uh, maybe, you know, try groveling, which I'm not going to do, uh, or just not interview them. So I will just not interview them. You know, that's just how it goes. If you, uh, I hit up his fighters all the time for interviews. I'm like, hey man, you want to come on the show? They always say yes. And then they're like, you got to run it through PR. We run it through PR. We follow the channel. And then they tell us no. So we are where we are. You know, uh, how this gets fixed, if it ever gets fixed, I do not know. I do not know. Uh, you know, if I have two criticisms of Ali, one would be the, the, the statement that fighter pay going public is not good for them. I mean, it's quite clearly good for them. And the other one is, it's like, I understand beefing with managers. I've actually beefed with a million managers in the sport. But then, to me, and I said this to him on the MMA Hour. Like, again, this is not new. I'm not revealing some kind of secret conversation. Uh, this was said back then. It was um, fine. Like, we can beef. But what does it have to do with your client? Right? It's in your client's interest. Not, not every case. Like, some cases, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be true. But some cases, it would be in their interest to maximize and widen their exposure. Um, so if you are a dominance MMA fighter and you have ever wondered why you have not been on my show, trust me, fellas, ladies, got nothing to do with me. All right. And by the way, uh, not the only manager that does this. So don't even think for two seconds that he is alone in this practice. This is actually, I won't say, I don't know if it's a widespread practice. It is not a rare practice. See, this is what I mean when I tell you guys about MMA interviews. I tell people, I'll pull back the curtain. Ali is hardly alone in this regard, right? This, is, this, this exists across MMA and much more than you might imagine. So this is what I mean when I tell you folks about why I don't do interviews much anymore. Because I'm just not going to go apologizing to anybody for, for the work that I do. Uh, I feel like the work that I do is... Especially when, I mean, can you guys find examples, especially recently, in the last couple of years, where I just like bury a fighter who, d who didn't deserve to be buried? Like, I feel like I try to be as measured as possible. I'll be right, I'll be wrong, of course. 50% of the time, I'll be right. 50% of the time, I'll be wrong. It's not about, that, about, it's not about accuracy, accuracy's sake per se. Like, am I doing this in bad faith or something? I mean, I have said, like, how do you cover MMA? By the way, did you guys see this? Um, the guys over at, uh, who was it? Uh, the, I think one of the guys from MMA Payout and Stephen Morocco from MMA Fighting is looking into it. They were asking for some top rank salaries out of Nevada, right? This has nothing to do with anybody else. Just follow me here. And the commission, I think he filed for a Freedom of Information uh, request and it was denied. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Does that mean that the commission in Nevada 
is no longer sharing publicly what the purses are for fighters. The UFC lobbied for that to happen in Florida, and they got it. I don't know what the situation is in Nevada. It could have been that his freedom of information request was denied or something. But let me just say something here. If Nevada is no longer sharing boxing or MMA purses, that makes California the only state left to share both. That's it. Folks, I have said this a million times. You cannot understand your role in MMA media without understanding and accepting and, and making clear the fighters get fucked every which way in this sport by every power broker who can possibly do it. Right? Not every single person, every single case, but every single category. You have, if this is true in Nevada, and it's an if, I'm not declaring it to you, we, we shall see. But certainly in a case like Florida, where they already do it, does Florida do this because they think they are servicing the fighter by not making their pay public? Really? That's, that's who they're serving here? They're not serving the fucking fighter. They're serving the promoter. They don't have a union, which you can't blame on anybody but the fighters at this point. You know, I don't know whose responsibility it is to fix that. But the promoters take from them. Sometimes you see these advertisers and these sponsors. Sometimes it works out. A lot of times it doesn't. Some people have great managers. A lot of times they're scam artists, right? Uh, across all the continents, across all the, uh, the, the teams and everything else. Uh, and on down the list. They don't have rights with the commission. If they want to take them to court, you know, that's their only way to get anything out of it. Even then, it's costly and will take forever, and it's a bad look. Dude, they get fucked every which way, which means as an MMA media personality, whatever the fuck I am, you can't conceal your opinion. You have to talk honestly, but you also must understand, dude, they are under people's thumb. When Dominic Cruz lashes out at Keith Peterson, I did not think what he said about Keith Peterson was fair. I do not think we should tolerate it. Do I understand a fighter who has, who has just no rights whatsoever, can't, can't get any which way he wants with a commission uh, at any point because they are just under their thumb, under their promoter's thumb, they have the Reebok deal in this particular case. Now it will be the Venom deal. And on and on. And who knows? I don't know about his manager. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. I don't know. But there's some enough of other ones. It wasn't Robert Whitaker's manager allegedly charged with defrauding somebody else? Like, we'll see what happens there too. But you just see it constantly. You cannot, you cannot cover fighters without understanding. And then USADA comes around and they just barrel down on these guys, you know? You cannot understand MMA without understanding all the shit that is bad rolls down to fighters to accept. Always. Now, sometimes they can fix it on their own. Sometimes they're the only ones who can fix it on their own. And sometimes they don't. And in that case, you can't help them. Why do I bring all this up? Dude, it is a widespread, not widespread, it is a common practice in MMA. If a manager doesn't like you, even if going and talking to their client is good for them, some of these managers will just deny you. So if you see shows that have all the fighters, yo, it's because they walk on eggshells and you can judge them for it or not. There's no other way to get interviews. <laughs> it's not possible. I've been doing this for 14 years. Trust me, I have tried everything. I have tried everything. 
The way to get interviews is to get as big an audience as possible. Certainly that matters. And it is to be obsequious. Because the minute you step out of line, the minute you start asking questions, sometimes, by the way, the manager won't cut you off and the fighter will. Oh, buddy. <laughs> there's, a fight, there's a fighter who, uh, who, who's a UFC champion for a while. Uh, you know, I've even had people try to intervene on my behalf. The last two years, he won't talk to me and, and won't even tell me why. And no, it's not John Jones. It's actually another one. You know, could, couldn't tell you why. Dude, if you want, if you want to have a say as a, or you can do a job where you just, you just, you know, you just be a stenographer. You just say whatever you want. Listen, man. It sounds like I'm ba- bl- blaming all the people who want to get interviews. Listen, some people just don't want to rock the boat. Some people just they just want to get interviews because it's good for their career, and you get rewarded with a bunch of shit, and they don't really care. And honestly, I, I used to think that that was kind of cowardly, and now I don't because the the jobs are so far and few or few and far between, and what are you supposed to do, man? Like, you're going to fight, you know, you're going to piss into the wind and then just, you know, blow away all your opportunity like a dumbass like I have for, for this kind of a thing? I don't know. You got It's up to other people to figure this out. Like, but here's just the reality. Anybody who tells you that they can be honest about how they feel and also get all the top interviews is a fucking liar. It is not possible. It is not possible. Unless a very powerful corporate entity is intervening on your behalf, which sometimes happens, but even then that doesn't necessarily fix the problem, right? Most of the time, it just comes down to, do you have a big platform? Obviously that matters, and I could always have a bigger one. Certainly do not have the biggest. Uh, And how compliant you are, right? And then how much other corporate help do you have for what you're doing? That, That, welcome to the show, folks. That's how it goes. That's the game. And so I just don't want to fucking play it. I don't want to play it anymore, man. I don't. I can't. You know, all these guys are nice. I, 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 I have nothing against uh, any of these managers personally anymore. I used to, you know, kick and scream. And now I'm just like, dude, it's just what the game is, man. It's just what the game is. So, so if you want to get into this business, you got to decide pretty quickly what side you want to be on. Because you're going to find yourself with the exact same problem that I have, which is you can either be a bootlicker and all this opportunity will open up for you, or you can, you can try to do things where you have opinion content and, um, and see how it goes. But it has not, in that particular sense, I've not been able to do both. I cannot do both a lot of interviews and a lot of opinion content, right? There, you, one has to give. All right, predictions for each main card fight at UFC 251. Well, I'm probably going to go towards a little bit of chalk on this. So, okay, I don't. I'll, I'll put. How about this? I'll do like level of confidence. I think Amanda Hebus is going to beat Paige Van Zant. My level of confidence in that is high, but I always caution folks against predictions. People can do them in MMA. They can do them, and they can do them well. But it requires a ton of homework every single time there's an event. You have to just really focus on that or just get kind of lucky. Do, what I'm about to tell you is do not bet on anything I say here. Don't take it to the bank because how sure am I about the three title fights? Dude, listen to who's in the three title fights. Peter Yan, Jose Aldo, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, Kamara Usman, and Jorge Masvidal. Those are six fighters. 
are those not six of the baddest fuckers you've ever heard about in your life? To say that they don't have a chance of winning in a sport that is profoundly chaotic is bizarre and weird. Like, of course, of course it's a, uh, uh, you know, anybody has a chance. So it's just a degree of confidence. I have a strong degree of confidence. Amanda Hebos will beat Paige Van Zandt. I don't that that I would be very surprised if it went the other way. Uh, what's the other one? Rose and Jessica. Well, I'll tell you what. If it was a five round fight, I might feel a little bit different. Okay, I might feel differently. But it's a three round fight. And what was the story of the first one? What one? Rose was tuning her up right up until she wasn't. Is that a thing that they can probably plan around a second time in a shorter time frame? And I don't know how big the cage was the first time. I guess it was a normal size cage. So this won't be a normal size cage too. You know, she has a normal size cage to work around. All she has to do is take two out of three. And in terms of her overall skills, she's just way better. Way better. So uh, I won't say I'm as confident in that one as I am about Amanda Hebus and Paige Van Zandt, but I have a fairly strong degree of confidence in Rose. We go to the well, the feature fight, Bantamweight, Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. Peter Yan probably should not lose this, but for all my objections to the fight, they were not that the fight wouldn't necessarily be entertaining. They were not that Jose Aldo had no chance of winning, but rather that who was the most deserving. And if you make the question about who's the most deserving, Aldo being there is just completely ludicrous. But if you're making, if you're putting that aside, and now you're assessing a, a separate question of, um, well, let me see something here. Yeah, and if you're doing a separate question of um, the thing about Peter Yan is he's unafraid of contact and he has a high volume output, puts a lot of pressure on folks. So styles make fights, right? I could see a case where he gets intercepted and hit and hurt by virtue of some kind of overcommitment or... Um, you know, Aldo just sort of finding the mark as this guy barrels down on him. On the other hand, one of the big lessons of the second Holloway fight, less so the first one, but definitely the second one, was Max will make you work. Both the pressure he puts on you, the amount, like, did you notice one thing that Max was doing was not just pressuring him backwards, but pressuring him in a circle? Actually, the opposite way he made him go the first time. So the first time he worked around the power of Aldo. Second time he went into the power of Aldo. But he makes you throw. He makes you move. He makes you turn. He just makes you work. To the extent that Jan can make him work and avoid some kind of um, major shot in return, that's his fight to lose. So I think Jan should win that. But that could get a little bit dicey if he makes some kind of costly error and Aldo is able to capitalize. But I, I would, you know, out of 10 times, who wins the majority of them? I'm going to say um, Peter Yan, co-main event. Do I buy that? Do I buy that Holloway was training exclusively on Zoom? Probably not. Probably not. But did he have a perfect camp? Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Let's say that he did. If he had a perfect camp, is that still enough to beat Volkanovski? We said at the top of the show, I just... It is fucking bizarre to watch how good, you know, it's, it's kind of, sort of like watching the Adesanya and then Silva fight. It, not that the two fights are the same, but what I mean to say is, I remember after the Adesanya and Silva fight, people were like, oh, Adesanya dude's overrated because what they were looking at was 
you know, oh, guy's good, guy's old. Good guy should just dispatch old guy. And they weren't looking at what he was doing in order to win and how sophisticated it was. And then once you do that, you're like, oh, right. Okay, so this is a different level. So was there a huge gap between Max and Volkanovsky? Well, not in that sense. I didn't knock him down. He didn't beat the shit out of him. But even with six months, is that enough time to make up the difference with a Volkanovsky who just has insanely high fight IQ? I mean, his decision-making, folks, whoo, doesn't come much better. <laughs> I just, I'm telling you, I just don't think folks realize how good Volkanovsky is. Everyone kind of gets how good Max is, I think, uh, which is fine. But they just don't seem to understand. So if anybody can beat Volkanovsky... It's Max. That one to me is dicey, but again, I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go with Volkanovski. And then in the, in the main event, mm, that is a tough one. Really, it's a referendum on this idea about to what extent is Masvidal reborn as a fighter. Certainly reborn as a, as a draw. I mean, it's amazing. This dude, I remember... I, I did morning radio here in D.C. this morning. I was on the Junkies on 106.7 The Fan, and I was telling them about this. I went to the open workout when Masvidal fought Iaquinta. And I remember that basically uh, no one knew who he was there. I mean, he had a couple people sort of shouting his name, you know, here or there, but he was not the star attraction. I think it was uh, Lamas and Mendez were the star attractions. Maybe Al, because he had come off the Ultimate Fighter, something like that. And remember, Al got booed. Uh, in Fairfax after he beat Jorge and then it was a controversial call. Anyway, um, in fact, Jorge had more Latin media there to see him than English-speaking media. And then five years later, boom, like here he is, you know, better late than never again. Um, okay, so what do we make of his chances? I went back and I looked at the Maya fight and the Till fight and then the Pearson fight. Why? Because those are the last three fights he was taken down. But they're, you know, Pearson, not much of a wrestler. Till, not much of a wrestler. And Maya wrestles, but not in a way that, like, Kamaru is. Like, number one, Maya shoots open mat, you know, where Kamaru is much more reliant on the fence. Two, uh, Masvidal has tremendous down blocking and good sprawls. But what would, what, what, what would Maya do? He would shoot normally, and then when you sprawl, he would then baseball slide underneath to get his legs to wrap around one of yours. He would bring those to himself and then use his hands to get on the single, and then went on the single, you know, try to take you down at that point. And then, you know, he was constantly sitting from half guard, basically looking for, like, reversals or sweeps, right? Very, very different. Like, Kamaru's not that guy. So how was Till what – what is the one common thread – from Till to Pearson to Maya. Because they each all got one takedown like this on Masvidal. What was the common thread? Do you guys remember? The answer is they caught his kicks. Till caught one and took him down. Pearson caught one and took him down. And so did Maya. Um, so you have to ask yourself, how much is kicking going to be a part of Masvidal's striking arsenal when you got Kamaru Usman coming down on you? That is... You know, you would imagine it's going to have to be a lot less. Otherwise, you're just going to feed up a takedown on a silver platter. So that means it's going to have to be in mid-range or boxing range. Okay. How much time is Kamaru going to spend there? 
depends on the takedown defense of Jorge Masvidal. I mean, Jorge's got good takedown defense in general. I think 80%. Pretty good. That's high. But, you know, you got a real 170-pounder. I mean, Kamar Usman couldn't make couldn't make 155 if his life depended on it. You've got a guy who, you know, I think has sort of like foundational striking, but enough to make entries. He's got Trevor Whitman in there, which I think, you know, Dan Hardy was telling me he thinks it's going to be a big deal with how that footwork works in terms of like cutting off Masvidal and getting him backwards. And I think he's going to hang on Masvidal. He's going to fight. He's going to drain Masvidal's arm, slow him down, put the fight in a range where he can see the punches coming from Masvidal, get up under them, get his hands under them, and then slowly work his magic over time. Masvidal is a tough customer, certainly, for the first two rounds. Uh, after that, we'll see how it goes. So I can actually see a fight where Masvidal is winning early. But I just don't know how you're going to keep Kamaru off of you if you can't really rely on the kicking game and he's backing people up. And I get it, dude. People love Street Jesus. I mean, it's amazing how many times if you pull up his fights on Fight Pass, doesn't matter if it's Kenny Florian calling his fights, doesn't matter if it's some of his Strike Force fights, doesn't matter if it's Brian Stan or Cormier. Everybody watches him, and every goddamn time the commentator is like, wow, man, this dude is talented. Holy shit. They've been saying it forever. It just now is occurring to the rest of the casual public. I take Masvidal. To me, he has the highest upset potential of any of the three fights, I think. I would say Max Least, Aldo Yan somewhere in the middle, and then I would say um, Masvidal has the most. But it's just another case where it's like, are we sleeping on Kamaru here a little bit? I don't know. I mean, we'll see tomorrow. I mean, what if, you know, would I, will I feel bad tomorrow if – Van Zant, Andrade, um, uh, Aldo, Holloway, and Jorge win? No, because that's the game. And may the best person win, right? May the best fighter win. Upsets happen all the time. You know, pick and chalk is all the time is not wise. But uh, all I can do is give you guys a sense of my confidence level. My confidence in Kamaru is is very moderate, but I lean a little bit towards that. But it's all just percentages, man. Just because, you know. Do not bet on this advice. I am warning you not to bet on this advice, please. Because I don't put a lot of thought into predictions. I think predictions are very, very hard. I just try to sort of piece together how it might go in my head. But like, what does Volkanovsky have cooked up for Max? I couldn't even imagine. Couldn't even imagine. It must be crazy, you know. Uh, how has the lockdown affected USADA? Have there been a blind spot in testing? Oh, yeah. They, I saw this. Uh, I read uh, all kinds of anti-doping journals. Now, across sports, it's not exactly clear how much is true in UFC, but across sports, they say out-of-competition testing is down 90%. Now, it's slowly coming back up, but for the first, like, you know, for March and April and May, it was down 90%. I am I'm certain that people have been juicing. If Masvidal wins Saturday, does this make him the biggest draw in MMA now that Connor is out? It might. Mm-hmm. It might. I don't think people understand how much this dude blew up. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you, if you're watching this chat, maybe you do. But I think there's a lot of people in MMA who are kind of like, okay, we know he's popular, but like, how popular? No, popular. Very. I had more requests to do radio shows this Friday than I had in a long time. Probably since Connor fought, to be honest with you. Um. 
That's always my rubric. How much do mainstream sports radio shows want to talk MMA? Because short of a big name fighting, they don't give a fuck, right? But when the big name is around, and I'm, I'm getting like seven, eight requests on a Monday or, a, or on a Friday, and I get some on Monday too, I always know I'm like, ooh, this is a big one. And I had, I think I had like nine or ten. It was crazy. It was, it was, it was batshit. You know, that never happens except Connor fighting or something like that. So. You know, with John out and Nate kind of on the Nate program and Connor sitting out, is Masvidal the most is the biggest draw? Yeah, I think he would be if he wins. Dude, I mean, if you want, I mean, just if he becomes the welterweight champion, you're the BMF champion, you're the welterweight champion, you're Street Jesus. You've been on an absolute tear since the loss to um, Stephen Thompson. Most people didn't get to know this guy until he started winning. It's not like he has memorable losses to the casual fan. I mean, think about. In your mind, what, what's the most memorable loss that Masvidal has? His losses are not very memorable, in part because most of them you could have argued he won, or many of them anyway. Like the Wonder Boy fight. People don't even talk about it. This thing doesn't even happen, or the Maya fight or something. Because whenever he loses these fights, more commonly than not, it's real close. You could have argued for him. You know, he's kind of in there battling all the best dudes. And people just didn't even pay attention when he was doing it. Then he goes in this win streak, and now all of a sudden everyone's on board. All of us who've been here, we kind of like say, we might we might know some of his losses. The Ben Henderson one was kind of weird, right? Uh, I was there for the Iaquinta one, but in general, like you remember much more of his victories than his losses. It's kind of weird that way. And then the casual fans come around, and he's done nothing but win since they did. You know, it's it's bananas. It's totally bananas. So like, you go out there and you take the fucking welterweight crown. And, dude, I've said this. I put a video out for it, man. I don't know how you don't make the Conor McGregor fight after that. I just don't I just don't get it. Conor gets to fight a guy who went from 155 to 170, who lo- prefers to strike than wrestle, who has is, uh, is about as the ultimate the B-side as you're ever going to get, can sell a fight, and, uh, you know, I, mean, I could probably list a thousand other things that would be in his favor. And you get, you get a chance to win your third weight class title in UFC, which no one's ever done before. And you don't have to fight this hulking monster in Kamaru Usman. I mean, you just have to be shitting me, dude. How do you not make that fight? How do you not make that fight? And then if Masvidal wins that, fucking look out. He'll be he'll be god tier star at that point. If he if he beats Till, Askren, Diaz, Usman, and McGregor, <laughs> dude. I mean, look out. He will. He won't even do. He'd be too big for Rogan's podcast at that point, motherfuckers. I mean, he it would be astronomical. Now he's got some work cut out, you know, to get there, obviously. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, let's do a couple more of these here, and I'll get to the paid questions. Should Max lose on Saturday? Where are his options? Okay. One, you can stick around at 145, and I think still beat everyone else except Max. Excuse me, um, Alex. So maybe you could just beat three or four more guys and they put you back in there. Maybe. My hunch is he goes to 155. Um, but if he's going to do it, I think he needs to bulk up. Because Poirier is currently sitting at two, right? But he's probably no worse than five in your mind. Who are the five best welter- uh, lightweights? Connor, in no particular order. Connor, Dustin, Tony, Justin, Khabib, right? Those are your top five. Okay. So at worst, he's in that company. But let's say he's actually five. If he's five, he beat uh, Max 49-46, 
and there was a clear power differential. Now, now Poirier hits hard for that weight class no matter what, but I'm just saying we're going to sort of learn exactly where Poirier is coming up here pretty soon. And if it turns out that he's closer to, to two than he is five, then I think there's some hope for Max in that weight class. But if it turns out he's closer to five than two, then Max might be in a really tough spot here. You might hear my daughter. Uh, hi, Luke. Dr. Clown Penis <laughs> from Rwanda here. I appreciate the shout-out last week on the show. Yes, of course. The practice has been flooded with patients since. Although I feel you have unfairly misrepresented my views about COVID and you may find our views more aligned than you previously thought. Coronavirus aside, I'm actually a huge MMA supporter and a big Jeff Neal fan. With his calculated striking and calm demeanor, I believe he can reach the top. Can you share your thoughts on how he fares against the top five in that division? I actually think he's probably your dark horse in that division. Some divisions have dark horses and some don't. Like, for example, at 145, I kind of think Josh Emmett, bit of a dark horse. Now he has to get healthy and we'll see how he looks after that. But I tend to think very highly of his game. Um, so he's sitting out there at um, at 170, dude. Jeff Neal is a is a bad dude. Now, how he measures up with guys like Leon Edwards who can slow fights down. He's sort of been fighting guys who were good, but were willing to like let him dictate a little bit of the sort of pace and rhythm. How would he do against, for example, a Wonder Boy? I don't know. You know, I don't know. But if he had someone who wants to just exchange with him, I think he can beat just about anybody in that division. Right, if they want to just exchange hands with him or kickbox with him, like in like a, like a let's let's go kind of a way, he can beat anybody. The question is who's smart enough to take him out of that. Wonder Boy, maybe Jorge, possibly Leon. Certainly something we'd have to see, but people don't want to fight that dude for a reason because he's tough as shit. Doesn't have much of a name right now, and uh, you know, and you make a mistake against that guy, you will pay. You will pay. All right. Let's get to your paid questions here if we can. Subscribe to the channel. All that good stuff. All right. Let's get to the questions. Holy mother of Jesus. There are a lot of them. All right. I will do my best. Uh, hi, Luke. When Paulo Costa versus Israel Adesanya was announced. Oops, let me go back to this. There we go. Uh, I did not expect Costa to be one of the funniest MMA fighters on Twitter. Seriously, he tags USADA with vitamin water, but shows them pictures of steroids. I've not seen that, but if that's true, that's hilarious. If you had one year to train Lasha Talakadze for an MMA fight against Greg Hardy, what would you teach him? Nothing. I don't want to take that dude out of weightlifting. Y'all know who Lasha Talakadze is? Oh my God, he's the uh, he's probably, he's arguably the strongest person alive. I know everyone's like, oh Thor is, yeah, sort of. Yeah, okay, maybe yes, but Lasha I think is the most naturally strong dude. Although he might be on something too, I don't know. But um, he might. It's possible. It's been it's been theorized. He might be the first person uh, in weightlifting history to put together a snatch and a clean and jerk that hits 500 kilos combined. Because no one's ever done that yet. But, I mean, this dude can front squat for reps like it's nothing. 700 pounds. Like, it's, I mean, he can just, it's easy. Is it me or does Aldo have the best chance of any underdog in the three title fights tomorrow? That's interesting. Uh, tough, yeah, I mean, it's, probably, it's, it's him or it's Masvidal. Tough style matchup for Masvidal and Holloway's camp seem insufficient. Yeah, it's debatable. Sure. I, I, tend to, I tend to have a high opinion of Masvidal, so maybe that's coloring my perspective. Could I understand a case for Aldo having the highest one? Sure. 
Which striking martial art would be the safest and most practical to learn for those of us with desk jobs? Uh, boxing. How easy is it to get away with using IVs these days? E.g. Paulo Costa. What red flags to look out for? E.g. high output and explosiveness in the fifth round. I don't think it looks like that. People have this weird thing with steroids where they're like, oh, if this guy has a burst of energy, it must be from... Like all of that was natural and then the steroids that he's been pumping into a system showed up in round five. I mean, the part about the performance enhancing drugs, it has this mix where you, it's hard to tell where someone's natural ability ends and the steroids or whatever they're using begins. Now, some cases it can become clear, but a lot of times the people who are good at hiding it, it's hard to know. So no, but the issue with the IVs is whether or not they can see they, they can find, I believe, traces of plastic, you know, microscopic traces, but traces of plastic in your blood. Uh, so the answer is in training, probably not that hard. Fight week, probably hard. Which fighter has the best pound-for-pound deadlift? I think it's um, Beefy Latifi, right? I think Latifi's got, he's a 700 puller. What do you think of the Venom deal? Yeah, I did a whole thing on this on my radio show a couple of weeks ago. Listen, in the end, the fighters had no say, right? So... It's in principle, it's no better than that deal. Now they promised raises across the board, so we'll see how that looks. Um, I'll make a decision about that when we get there. But you know, I it's, it's whatever. But here's the thing about Reebok, man. <sighs> Fuck, dude. Like, listen. The three things that Schmo had talked about were with Dana were uh, Nike, Under Armour, and Venom. I was like, I think of the three of those, Venom might be the best fit. Now, Nike has some interaction with the combat sports space, especially in Japan. They had done some stuff for Team Cloud, I think. But in general, who is embedded in the combat sports community? It's by far, it's Venom. It's not even close. Guys, I've said this a million times. If you're a real fight fan and you're talking to someone and they identify themselves as a real, as a, oh, I'm a huge fight fan. You can sniff that fucker out quick. Real fight fans know who is a real fight fan and who isn't like that. Now, Venom doesn't need to be a fight fan per se, but my point being is there's clearly a fight community and there's clearly people who are in it and there are clearly people who are not. And Reebok was never part of it. And that by itself is not a reason to get not to not do it. I mean, maybe you can increase your sales by getting into it. But the point being is they had, they had misspelled people's shirts. The gear looked like shit. You know, they had. Uh, it was the first time we were being introduced to these things. There was no creativity to them. The money that folks were getting went way down. I mean, it was every. It was just this relentlessly bad news for them. Some of that we're now accustomed to, and Venom doesn't have to worry about that being the second provider in. But the other part to this is like, dude, people already buy their shit. To me, it's a little on the garish side, but it's well made. Dude, go to their website. It's a good website. You can get gloves and you can customize them. All kinds of different colors, patterns, down to the stitching. All kinds of stuff. They have their own line for Lomachenko. Maybe they'll have a line for an MMA or UFC fighter, you know? They make geese. They make uh, they make rash guards. They make mouthpieces, wraps, gloves, uh, boxing shoes. I mean, everything. And for Loma, they make some athleisure as well. Now, they don't make the shoes beyond boxing shoes, so I think Reebok is still going to do that before... You know, Venom can get that fixed or whatever the situation there is. But, okay, so they don't have that exactly. 
But like, dude, you don't have to sell anybody inside combat sports on whether Venom is quality stuff. It is. I tend to think their logo looks like a Six Flags, you know, uh, amusement park ride where it's like, ride the Venom. And it looks like this shit. And you're like, really? I'm not, you know, okay. And the name is stupid. I don't like it. But dude, it's a quality brand. And they know the space. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Under Armour is a fucking disaster now. They were late to athleisure. They're not good at it. All that growth they had has been a mess. Um, I, I had tweeted a New York Times article sort of detailing their problems. They have all kinds of micromanagement in terms of the concepts of products. Um, they, you know, uh, they just they, they had this ugly deal that went south with UCLA. Like, they're kind of in disarray. Nike would have been cool. It conferred stuff on the brand. But, dude, I mean, listen, MMA, is, uh, UFC is sponsored by Modelo. Halle Berry is doing stuff with Dana White on SportsCenter. The stuff airs on ESPN. I'm not really worried about, like, this constant fetishization of the mainstream. It basically is pretty damn mainstream. And if it means that the fighters have better quality and they get a raise, you know, and uh, I don't know, maybe some of them get their own lines. I don't know what the problem is. Like, I, I would pick, you know, Venom is a, it's a smart play for the UFC, and it's obviously a smart play for Venom. Go to somebody who knows the space. Well, they know it, dude. They're good at it. They make quality gear. Will Connor fight in an arena with no fans? I myself don't see it happening. Well, uh, you have to ask yourself this. Will he fight outside of America? Right, because listen, I know y'all don't want to talk coronavirus. I'm gonna say this quickly and move on. Either we have coronavirus everywhere and we don't have fans, or we have fans because we've controlled coronavirus. It's it's one or the other. Right? So either this will be the cases will be low and the deaths are down and and hospitalizations and case fatality rate and all that stuff. And we can reasonably get back to a normal life or we'll just keep doing the dumb shit we've been doing. Uh, so if he fights with fans, it will probably be in a country where they have gotten that under control. And that seems possible, but even that is not imminent. So I think if Jorge wins and Connor's interested, he will fight without fans. I think um, if, the, if Jorge loses and or for some reason Connor's not interested... And, you know, who knows what happens with Khabib? No. He won't fight, and so he'll just wait until, you know, this, this all gets fixed. But we're going to have to have a place that's got this under control. How do you convince friends UFC isn't just aggro douche city? You don't. Hard when Connor, Perry, and Jones incident always make mainstream news, while the likes of DC Poirier, Rose, and Holloway never do. Uh, right. I don't try to convince my friends to watch MMA. And by the way, you, you, we can't ignore the fact that like Connor, Perry, and Jones incidents, are, they happen. Like it's part of the story. It's not the only story. Okay, fair enough. But I don't, I don't try to convince my friends about MMA or family about MMA. It's like, dude, I, and I know how y'all feel because you want to share it with people. I used to be that way too. At some point, at some point, you just realize. I, my enjoyment on this is not contingent upon my friend's enjoyment. I like it just by myself. 
Other than current and former champs, guys like O'Malley and Masvidal, are there fighters that are more popular than we realize based on advanced metrics like site traffic? No. There's no hidden gem out there. You guys know at this point. Um, I have too many questions to pick just one, so take my money and have a great night of fights tomorrow. Thank you, Sam. We will do a post-show tomorrow. If I purchase merch, do any of the proceeds go to below the belt? If so, I would rather purchase merch directly from you and BC. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think it goes right to Showtime, which goes to everybody. But don't worry. Shab sells a ton of merch. So uh, if you want to purchase stuff for Morning Combat, you can. I think it's uh, store.showsho.com. Peak Cody Garbrandt versus peak Jeremy Stevens. Well, they're different weight classes. Who wins? Assuming weight differences aren't a factor. Ooh. Probably Cody. You mentioned you liked Pantera. How does their singer's problematic behavior affect your view of them? Should the art be separate from the artist? Well, he has sort of apologized for it and gone on these big tours of denials about it. The way I sort of separate it is that stuff he did, Phil Anselmo, he did after Pantera was long since over. So I just sort of say, well, I'll just keep Pantera as this thing I can enjoy and I'll let Phil be Phil. But even then, you know, my understanding is he's like, maybe maybe you don't believe him, but he is certainly not hid from the accusations. Uh, how do you think Douglas Lima would fare against the welterweights top 10? I think very, very well. You know, would he beat all of them? I don't know. Um, I tend to think that Kamoru might still be a problem for him. Maybe some other ones too. But, you know, would he would he have contended for a title by now? Definitely. All right, we already asked for predictions. Already done them. Amir Khani versus Henry. I think I like Amir Khani. Devison versus Benavidez. I guess I'm going to go Devison. And then Gastelum versus Hermanson. I have to think about that one. I don't know. Maybe Hermanson. The UFC signed a Nicholas Stoltze or Stoltz and Timo Fucht, two German fighters who are within a neo-Nazi-led fight camp. Fucht was part of a riot that attacked a politically left district. Uh, I saw that one of them had distanced himself from it. I don't know about the other one. Yeah, I mean, obviously UFC can't be hiring people if this is a common and ongoing practice. Uh, I recommend a book to you by Sir Alex Ferguson. All right. I will have a look at it. I don't know what the name of it is, but maybe he's only got one book. <laughs> Would you rather eat a half-gallon jug of your own feces? Ah, that must be miserable. Or go to a ball game with your buddy Ariel Holwani. Hmm. Well, you said we have to go to a ball game. You didn't say we had to sit together. Like we could just walk up together and give each other the silent treatment and then go sit separately. So I'll take that one. Jorge, more speed, better fight IQ. Usman, more strength, hell of a chin. Applies never-ending pressure. What would be the main factor for either fighter? Um, I think the cardio of Usman's going to be big. On Jorge's side, footwork. Footwork, what kind of traps he sets. Favorite MMA commentator, Dominic Cruz. Is there a current fighter you could see filling that role in the future? Ooh. Um, I, I got to tell you, I think you guys are going to laugh at this. Uh, Laura Senko. <laughs> Laura's in a funny position, right? Because, uh, how do I say this in a way that is 
acceptable uh, and easy to understand. Listen, most people in life who are, um, how do I say this? Laura Senko is not uh, unattractive. And most people who are like that, they sort of get things easily in life. But the reality with her is that I think people don't, they, they do the opposite where they're like, well, she must just be a pretty face. So we'll just give her a microphone and you can go, you know, do these other gigs. And she seems, you know, quite uh, competent and happy to have them. And they're all good gigs. There's nothing wrong with them. But if you're asking me if that's the full breadth of her ability and depth of it, no, it is not. Dude, I had her on my show before and we just talked fights and we just talked analysis. You would be shocked at how good she is. You'd be shocked at it. Uh, and honestly, somebody has to be the first, like, I don't know, the Doris Burke of uh, UFC. And who that might be, I don't know. But there are not a lot of women generally who have fighting experience. Now, granted, she never fought in the UFC. She fought in Invicta. Um, and, you know, she had a relatively short career given a lot of other things. But um, so maybe that would disqualify her. I don't know. But, like, with the UFC, there's just not a lot of choices. Misha Tate was pretty good for a time. But then she went to work for one. You know, so I don't think she got to fully develop some of those skills. Uh, who else is out there, like, on the women's side? Um, it's not many, man. It's not many. You know, Sarah Kaufman's pretty good uh, when, she, when she gets an opportunity. So there's, I mean, or maybe there's somebody that I just don't know about. But it's, it's, it seems to me like, do I find her not? Like, when she talks, I listen, dude. You know, you, you will learn things uh, about fighting from her. That's what every good analyst should be able to do. Like when Anthony Smith talks to me, I just, I listen or, or Dan Hardy or anybody else. Now on, on the men's side, you know, uh, Josh Thompson's pretty good over for Bellator. Um, oh God, I'm, now I'm stumped. I'm sure there is somebody I'm not thinking of, but yeah, there's a lot of very talented people that just never get the opportunity for sure. For sure. Do I have an alcohol problem? Well, yes, but you know what kind really is the issue. With everything going on in the year so far, you almost forgot that uh, Deontay Wilder blamed his first professional loss on a costume. <laughs> yeah, he certainly did. How many win finishes in a row does Oliveira need for a title shot? Ooh, two or three. Eddie Hall versus Thor next year. That fight is going to suck so much ass, but probably Eddie Hall. Can I get a shout-out from my boy? No, but thank you for the donation. If Volkanovski beats Max, don't you think Poirier would be a fight at 145? He can't make 145 anymore. No. People keep asking me about Gordon Ryan's views. Yeah, we don't agree. People who wear masks are sheeps. I mean, here's the funny thing about mask wearing. Um, it's it's your future. All y'all donks out there, you know, who are denying it, you can keep denying it all you want. It's eventually going to be the lay of the land. Uh, and it will just be a thing that people get used to because it's not really that big of a deal. They've made it a big deal because we live in a stupid society, but... Society's issues notwithstanding, um, 
it's not a thing that people are going to, it's not, it's not an argument people are going to win long term. They're just not, right? When enough shit doesn't open because, and things aren't working because people aren't doing enough to get the cases down, which we've been over, you know, and laws are either passed or people just realize it's what you have to do to get through your day. They may not like it, but they'll do it. Uh, why are sources loyal? Are they on a payroll? Not with me. Who wins in an MMA fight with one year of training? Tyson Fury or Gordon Ryan? Gordon Ryan. Walkout song if you were a fighter. I use Roland. Well, you, sir, have the worst taste ever. I've always, always said it's the Smiths. Big Mouth Strikes Again. Is Jan overrated? His biggest win is over an aged favor. No, it's not. He hasn't fought anyone in the top five. Yes, he has. Even if he beats Aldo, it's an Aldo who didn't deserve the shot to begin with. That part is true. When he beat Rivera, I believe Rivera was top five. And he beat Dodson. And he beat the shit out of favor, so that's not true. Possible that Romero could somehow get a title shot with two wins. Mm, I don't think they're going to give him one anytime soon. Khabib doesn't do interviews with you and Ariel. Yeah, well, I don't think Khabib has anything against me. Um, he follows me on Twitter, but maybe he does. Maybe he does against Ariel. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what his issue is. Could be. Could be. Maybe he doesn't like me. I don't know. Uh, Question about Ali. Already been over that. What is the significance of Holloway switching directions with footwork in the Aldo fights? Well, one, it's confusing. Because he's fighting in an opposite way than he fought the first time, which means whatever you were anticipating the first time, he'll take he takes it away, right? If I if someone is circling to my power hand, or excuse me, outside of my power hand, there's a series of things I have to do to adapt. If they're circling into it, uh, it's it's a new set of challenges that I have to assess, new, new opportunities as well, but it just completely different differentiates it. Uh, let's see. When will the UFC do away with weight class names? Never. Why are people sleeping on Jorge's cardio? We haven't seen him gassed in any of his recent fights, and he was piecing up Demian in the third round. How do you think his cardio will be against Kamaru? Good. Very good. But wrestling is a different ballgame. Is Poirier the best fighter to not win a real title? He's up there. He's up there. Tony's up there. We've been over this before. Overeem's won real titles, but I think you mean UFC. Um... Um, there's a bunch Romero uh, Joe, Joseph Benavidez I mean there's a, there's a shitload I've heard that Loma versus Lopez Teofimo is supposed to happen in mid to late September fuck I would love to see that I would love to see that do you see there's going to be a Showtime card at Mohegan Sun I think at the middle of August something like that I have a feeling that maybe this last-minute replacement fight could be a ruse and that the UFC has always planned on Usman versus Jorge. Nope. Luke, have you seen Ryan's half-guard instructional? I've seen it advertised. I've not watched it yet. Tangentially, how do you view the current iteration of BJJ impacting MMA? Not very. There's not a lot of guys who are doing what Ryan Hall and, um, like, you know, inverting, heel-hooking... There's not a lot of that in MMA, so there's there's less and less of an impact on modern jujitsu on MMA. Someone says, love the show. Thank you, Charles. 
Chuck. Is Dana Wright saying UFC 251 is heading toward the 2 million pay-per-view buys is 229? I mean, I don't know how he could possibly say that. 99% of pay-per-view buys happen well in advance. But if you look at like metrics for um, embedded, like every episode is like a million plus. Maybe, maybe stuff like that is what he means, right? Sort of like informal factors. Do we need a fighters union? Y'all know about this. Is Ali the Don King of MMA? I don't think that's quite right. Can you risk a $500 bet for Usman to win by choke in round one? I wouldn't make that bet. Also, Usman versus Khabib was watching uh, Usman passed, and I'm scared for Masvidal. I wouldn't be scared for Masvidal. I think he's quite capable of winning, but do I take the bet that he can win in the first round via choke? No, I don't. Well, let's see this. Phone blowing up. Oh, for fuck's sake. Let's see. Two missed calls. Oh, yes. Madrid is beating Alaves. Okay. What is your... Uh, what is one of your favorite books of fiction? The Sound and the Fury. Sound and Fury. Uh, okay. Anything else here? Anything else on this other one? That's about it. All right, folks. Thank you so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. Um, you guys are the best. Remember, I am back tomorrow. Right after the fights, we're going to be here for a post-fight show, and we are going to get down into the weeds to discuss everything. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. Send it around. Appreciate y'all watching, and until next time, stay frosty.